Have you heard you can listen to your favorite news podcasts ad-free? Good news. With Amazon Music, you have access to the largest catalog of ad-free top podcasts included with your Prime membership. To start listening, download the Amazon Music app for free or go to amazon.com slash ad-free news podcasts. That's amazon.com slash ad-free news podcasts to catch up on the latest episodes without the ads. Welcome to the Tech Meme Right Home for Thursday, September 17th, 2020. I'm Brian McCullough. Today, we have the launch date and price for the PlayStation 5. An update on the TikTok and WeChat situations. Why Snowflake's IPO was such a big deal and such a big success. Red Ventures is affiliate marketing on steroids. And what if I told you the coolest bit of gear that people got turned on to during the last Apple event was an office chair. But it is Johnny Ives' favorite office chair. Here's what you missed today in the world of tech. All right, the gaming wars are officially joined. The PlayStation 5 will launch on November 12th in North America, Japan, South Korea, Mexico, Australia, and New Zealand for $500. That's the Blu-ray drive version. You can also get a $400 digital edition, which will be launching in more regions, but also on November 19th, quoting VentureBeat. PlayStation 5 is Sony's console for the future. It uses a powerful AMD Zen 2 processor and Radeon RDNA 2 graphics card. But Sony Interactive Entertainment is focusing a lot of its efforts on the design of the PS5 architecture. That starts with a super-fast solid-state drive that can stream data across what I can only describe as fat pipes. This is going to minimize loading times, but it's also going to lead to new kinds of games that rely on massive amounts of assets to pull from storage on the fly, end quote. Pre-orders have already begun for both versions of the PS5, but so far they're a mess, quoting The Verge. Perhaps eager to capitalize on the demand, retailers quickly turned the pre-order situation into a free-for-all, opening the floodgates a day early and allowing the quickest and savviest buyers to swoop in. Some called or walked into their local GameStop to secure a pre-order a day early, or seemingly lucked out with one of Walmart's listings for the PS5 and PS5 Digital Edition. Walmart even gleefully tweeted that it was pushing the console out ahead of schedule. Soon, GameStop issued a press release advertising availability of the PS5 online, even though at the time it didn't actually have a product page where you could buy one. Now you can find product pages at Target and Best Buy 2. GameStop's product listings also appear to be up, but hilariously, the site appears to have triggered some DDoS protections and was initially blocked for many people, including us. And good luck actually getting one, even if you get through to one of these stores. Not only are these listings flickering in and out of stock and erroring out of adding items to your cart, we've also had them ripped out of our cart in the middle of a transaction. Target says it's already completely out of pre-orders, and we're also hearing that Walmart is already canceling some successful pre-orders as well. In more ways than one, it reminds us of the SNES Classic launch fiasco, end quote. As for launch titles, yeah, get ready for $70 games being the new normal, quote, In a blog post published after revealing the price of both of its upcoming consoles, Sony says it has six launch titles confirmed for the PS5 on November 12th. Here's the full list, including pricing and confirmation for the first time that Sony intends to raise the price on some exclusive titles by $10 to a max of $69.99. You've got 
Astro's Playroom, pre-installed on PS5, Demon's Souls for $69.99, Destruction All-Stars for $69.99, Marvel's Spider-Man Miles Morales, $49.99, but Marvel's Spider-Man Miles Morales Ultimate Edition, $69.99, and Sackboy A Big Adventure, $59.99. It's important to note that this list does not include expected multi-platform games like Fortnite, confirmed for both PS5 and Xbox One X at launch, and the standard annual release titles like the new Call of Duty and Assassin's Creed games, both of which should arrive before or just after the next-gen consoles launch this November. CD Projekt Red's Cyberpunk 2077 is also confirmed for cross-gen releases on November 19th, just a week after the PS5 officially starts shipping." End quote. So let's come back to yesterday's big IPO for a minute. Snowflake was already the biggest software IPO of all time when it priced its shares at $120 yesterday. That was great, because the original pricing range was $75 to $85. But when trading actually opened, the price of Snowflake shares rocketed to $245. The price of the shares went as high as $319 over the course of yesterday's trading, and then settled down to close at $253. So, Snowflake at the end of the day, was worth $70.4 billion, up five times from its $12.4 billion valuation just earlier this year, in February, I believe. So, wow. What happened? I turned to Dan Premack's Pro Rata newsletter this morning, quote, Applying logic or fundamentals analysis to tech stocks right now is a fool's errand, but two possible explanations for why Snowflake's debut stood out from the froth. First, there was Warren Buffett's halo. Berkshire Hathaway committed to buy $250 million worth of stock from the company concurrent to the IPO. And another 4 million shares from insiders, $480 million at the IPO price. Not only was it Berkshire's first IPO play since Ford Motor Company and the first ever tech IPO investment, but it also was because money-hemorrhaging snowflakes seemed to clash with Buffett's typical investing gospel. There's also the factor of the other oracle. Many investors are desperately seeking the next tech whale, having already exposed to the hilt on the fang stocks. So why not follow the crowd like they've done so successfully before, particularly if they feel that one of Snowflake's most formidable rivals is preoccupied with TikTok? As Dan concluded, this time might be different, but it sure does feel an awful lot like 1999 all of a sudden. So this whole story is noteworthy for that reason alone. The biggest software IPO of all time, and crucially, a tech IPO that surprised people to the upside in a big come-out-of-nowhere way, which is in stark contrast to the disappointing unicorn IPOs of recent times, which didn't ever reach the heights that investors were counting on ahead of time. Hint, hint, Uber. Meanwhile, Snowflake's investors are seeing highs that they probably never dreamed of, at least not at this point, this early in the game, and about those investors, quoting Bloomberg, Snowflake's initial public offering isn't just creating new fortunes, it's adding to the wallets of some of Silicon Valley's biggest names. Iconic Capital, a multifamily office whose clients include Facebook's Mark Zuckerberg, LinkedIn's Reid Hoffman, and Twitter's Jack Dorsey, took part in multiple Snowflake funding rounds beginning in 2017. Its 12% stake in the company purchased for $245 million was worth more than $4 billion at the initial offering price of $120. By the end of Wednesday, the same stake was worth a staggering $8.6 billion. 
Snowflake's top executives also saw their wealth surge. Four of them, Frank Slootman, Bob Muglia, Michael Scarpelli, and Benoit Daggerville, now own stakes worth a combined $80 billion. Only one of them, Daggerville, was a founder. His stake is smaller than Slootman's, who joined as chief executive officer from ServiceNow last year, end quote. Also, by the way, Warren Buffett has seen his investment double in just a day, so that's also some wallet padding for him. But this IPO is notable for one other reason. Remember that drumbeat recently about seeking better ways to access public markets beyond IPOs? Remember Bill Gurley advocating for direct listings? Remember SPACs? Remember the newly launched long-term stock exchange? So yeah, given how much money Snowflake just left on the table, like literally billions and billions of dollars, expect that drumbeat only to grow louder. Real talk. 52% of men over 40 experience some form of ED between the ages of 40 and 70. But it's always been a taboo topic. Thankfully, Hims is changing that by providing affordable access to ED treatment all online. Hims provides access to clinically proven generic alternatives to Viagra and Cialis, up to 95% cheaper with options as low as $2 per dose. The process is simple and 100% online. No uncomfortable doctor's visits. Answer a series of questions on their site and a medical provider will determine the right treatment option. If prescribed, your medication ships directly to you for free and in discreet packaging. No insurance needed. Pay one low price for your treatments, online visits, ongoing shipments, and provider messaging. Hims has hundreds of thousands of trusted subscribers, so if ED is getting you down, it's time to change that. Start your free online visit today at hymns.com slash ride. That's H-I-M-S dot com slash ride for your personalized ED treatment options. Hims.com slash ride. Prescriptions require an online consultation with a healthcare provider who will determine if appropriate. Restrictions apply. See website for details and important safety information. Subscription required. Price varies based on product and subscription plan. We're being sponsored today by a company on a product that longtime listeners know I have used for years and cannot, literally cannot live or at least work without it. 1Password. 1Password combines industry-leading security with award-winning design to bring private, secure, and user-friendly password management to everyone. Companies lose hours every day just from employees forgetting and resetting passwords. A single data breach costs millions of dollars. 1Password secures every sign-in to save you time and money, any device, any time. 1Password lets you securely switch between iPhone, Android, Mac, and PC with convenient features like autofill for quick sign-ins. All you have to remember is the one strong account password that protects everything else. Your logins, your credit cards, secure notes, or the office Wi-Fi password. 1Password generates as many strong, unique passwords as you need and securely stores them in an encrypted vault that only you have access to. I started using 1Password, what, a decade ago? Join me and over 100,000 businesses on board the 1Password bandwagon. Because right now, my listeners get Get a free two-week trial at onepassword.com slash ride. That's two free weeks at the number one, the word password, all one word, dot com slash ride. Onepassword.com slash ride. TikTok situation update. Sources were telling Bloomberg last night that Oracle's bid for TikTok is falling short of addressing the Trump administration's national security concerns. And because the administration is thus far not fully satisfied, a decision regarding the TikTok situation has not been made yet. 
yes, that nominal September 15th deadline is in the rear view. So I guess we're on to September 20th. Quote, the officials, including Secretary of State Michael Pompeo, are concerned that after a potential transaction, ByteDance could still have access to user data from nearly 100 million users in America, said the people. The officials remain wary about the proposed new ownership structure and how much influence that would give China over the company. Terms of the proposed deal would give Oracle full access to TikTok's source code and updates to make sure there are no backdoors used by the company's Chinese parent to access data on the video sharing app's 100 million American users, according to people familiar with the matter describing provisions submitted to the U.S. government over the weekend. The terms illustrate what the companies and security officials mean when they call Oracle a trusted technology partner, which goes beyond just housing data inside Oracle's U.S. cloud servers, according to people with knowledge of the terms, who asked not to be identified because they weren't authorized to speak publicly. Oracle would be able to check all source code from the algorithms that decide which videos get shown to which users to ensure there are no backdoors and will be able to continue to review the technology as updates come in to make sure there are no new points of access, the people said. The newly formed TikTok would be headquartered in the U.S. and would hire an independent board approved by the U.S. government. The standalone company would also have oversight by a third party, which would report to the U.S. government and provide continuous audits, reports, and protocols for handling any incidents that arise, according to the people, end quote. So that's new. A bit more teeth there, if they're actually examining the code and doing audits regularly. Late this morning, CNBC's David Faber was reporting that President Trump will make a decision on the matter in 24 to 36 hours, and that Walmart is expected to partner with Oracle in any deal where Oracle would own roughly 20% of the social media app. Meanwhile, remember in the background, the U.S. government was also threatening to ban WeChat. There was a September 20th deadline here as well that might basically make doing any business and any activity on WeChat illegal if you're a U.S. citizen, basically akin to a sanction. Well, that's been clarified a bit. In a filing, the U.S. says that any WeChat ban would still allow users to convey personal or business info on the platform without risking criminal or civil penalties. However, some transactions would be prohibited, quoting Bloomberg. The U.S. Commerce Department plans to clarify by September 20th which transactions will be prohibited, but it doesn't intend to define, quote, the relevant transactions in such a way that would impose criminal or civil liability on such users, according to a government filing Wednesday in federal court in San Francisco. The U.S. WeChat Users Alliance is seeking a preliminary injunction against Trump's executive order. A hearing on the request was scheduled for today, end quote. There was some other headline financial news recently that I didn't get a chance to cover. CNET, that venerable tech and gadget news venue, was sold from Viacom CBS to an entity called Red Ventures for around $500 million. I bring this up to mention that CNET is still around, of course, but also to take a look at Red Ventures because they're interesting. They've quietly cobbled together a portfolio of more than 100 websites, including The Points Guy, Healthline, and a bunch more. And what's interesting is their business model. Red Ventures mostly makes its money through affiliate commissions. Quoting Digiday, The CNET acquisition was actually the fourth purchase Red Ventures made in 2020. The company also acquired the mental health site Psych Central, Slumberyard, a site that reviews mattresses, and Cordcutters News, a site that covers the OTT space and reviews products such as Sling TV or YouTube TV. 
Most of Red's sites do make at least some money through display ads, and some, such as Healthline, which drew 75 million monthly unique users in July per Comscore, attract large audiences. But Red's portfolio is set apart from most media companies by sites that make most of their money from affiliate commissions, which they earn by driving sales or leads on pricey purchases, such as credit cards, movers, or energy providers. In categories such as credit cards, those commissions, particularly for publishers that drive high volumes of conversion, can run into the hundreds of dollars per user. The company's sites which do not disclose their revenues have become a must-buy for banks and credit card companies looking to do affiliate marketing, media buyers say. The portfolio strategy was informed partly by plans to assemble sites that would enable Red and its advertisers to chart and, in theory, move a consumer down a purchase funnel and into a buying decision. To read about how to save money on one site, research credit card choices on a second site before signing up for a credit card on a third. Red tracks site visitors across the sites in its industry categories using anonymous identifiers, Red Ventures President of Technology and Media Mark McCollum said, and uses its first-party data to customize the offers and site experience they get, end quote. Finally today, remember during Apple's most recent event, there was a part of the video where we followed Apple's VP of Platform Architecture, Tim Millett, into what appeared to be Apple's Silicon Lab. Lots of people were looking at the gear on the clean white tables to try to suss out what was being developed there, but also, quoting Gear Patrol, buried in the back of the shot, but glaring as hell if you're a bunch of product nerds, were a pair of gleaming black leather and polished aluminum office chairs. That'd be the Supporto. The Supporto, made of die-cast aluminum and available in a variety of high and low back configurations, was created by British designer Frederick Scott as a rival to the Eames iconic aluminum group chair. Scott made a distinct point of designing the chair around the fairly nascent idea of ergonomics and described the Supporto as, quote, an office chair designed to cut through the hierarchy of the office, end quote. The chair was put into production in 1979 by British manufacturer Hill and is now made by Zoftig another British company whose primary product is seating for airports. One notable booster of the Supporto was fellow British design icon and former Apple chief design officer Johnny Ive. According to the Cult of Mac, Ive apparently loved the chair so much that he peppered Supporto chairs and stools around Apple's old design offices, and it appears that at least two have made the leap to Apple's new campus. If you're also looking to cram 11.8 billion transistors into the processor of a consumer tablet, or you just want to look the part, you can call up Zoftig or use their online inquiry form. Expect a supporto like the above to run you in the neighborhood of $2,000, end quote. That's all for today. As always, I'm Brian McCullough. You can follow me on Twitter at BrianMCC. The show subreddit is r slash ride home. Our YouTube channel can be found by searching for Tech Meme Podcast on YouTube. The most recent weekend bonus episodes have been video, by the way. So if you want to see my messy home office setup with young Archie in his crate in the background and all the crap my kids leave everywhere, have at it. Also, if you'd like to support what I do every day directly, subscribe to the ad-free feed. Link at the very bottom of today's show notes. Talk to you tomorrow.